This is heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Be Heard Talk. Of course, this is the show where we talk politics, race, and culture, and we do that all from a Black millennial perspective. Um, my name is Selena Hill. I'm actually the founder of Be Heard Talk, and I want to thank everyone who's been watching Be Heard via our media sponsor, Black Enterprise, who has been partnering with us this entire 2020 election season. So shout out to Black Enterprise. And if you guys are new to the show, of course, this is also the show where we combine news perspective and also with Asada Shakur, trap music, and on occasion, a little Beyonce. So get ready, we have a great show lined up. I'm super excited to be with you all today. A little later on, we'll be checking in with my son, Lennon, who is an activist, a hip hop artist, and the co-founder of Until Freedom. He's gonna come on Be Her Talk and talk about what we can and should be doing to mobilize our communities beyond 2020 and beyond this election. But before we get to that whole conversation, let me start by introducing my Be Her Talk co-host, Stanley Fritz. Hey, what's going on, world? This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite co-host, who loves to talk junk and vote down the WFP party line. Yes, that's right. After three times of trying and the line being too long, I finally got to cast my vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on a working family's party line. So I'm hyped that I got to do that. And I'm hyped I get to be here for another action-packed episode sponsored by Black Enterprise. If you want to follow me, my socials are right there by my name, Stan Fritz on Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and even Snapchat. How you doing today, Selena? I'm good, Stanley. And we also have our other co-host, Tammy David. Hi, Be Heard fam. It's so good to see you guys. How you doing? Hey. Yeah. Well, hello, everyone. I'm the problematic favorite here on Be Heard Talk. Today is Sunday, November 1st. It is officially one month until my birthday. And I'm a poll worker this year. So after this whole election mess is over, please DM me with pandemic party ideas. And honestly, hit us up for the address on where to send my birthday presents. So I am very excited for today's show because I am worried about what's gonna happen uh, after the election. I'm worried about what's gonna happen on November 3rd. I'm honestly worried about the state of democracy, but before we get to all of that mess, uh, y'all know what time it is. Let's talk about stories during the news roundup, the part of the show where we discuss the stories that made you disown your favorite rapper, plan to emigrate on November 4th, and honestly question why you even listen to news shows like ours. Uh, this week, we have yet another reason to cancel Lil Wayne, updates on an election that is ramping up in a scary way, and news for any LGBTQ folks in our networks. For more information on any of these stories and to suggest what we should talk about next week, follow and DM us at Be Heard Talk across all social media platforms. So first, we're gonna talk about the nasty trend that just won't go away this year, which is hip hop kings endorsing and working with Trump. Lil Wayne is the latest in a string of foolish, rich black men to stand with Trump on 
the platinum plan, the deal that Trump has worked out that will in theory support the economic growth of the black community. On Thursday, he tweeted a picture of himself with number 45 saying that he had a great meeting and besides what he's done so far, the platinum plan will give the community quote, real ownership. He listened to what we had to say and assured that he can get it done. Now the backlash was swift, but we definitely need to continue to stress about black men and their ballots this election cycle. After endorsements and partnerships by Lil Wayne, Cube, uh, Pump, 50, who took back his support but still gave it at first, we need to think about what the black vote actually looks like this year. So I'm gonna throw it to my co-host, Selena. Do you think that Lil Wayne is actually gonna be one of the people influencing votes this year? Well, great question, Tammy. And before I start to answer that, we're getting a lot of feedback from people chiming in. They're saying that they hear an echo. Um, I believe everyone should be muted. So you should only be hearing me as of now. I just wanna know guys, can you still, are you still hearing this echo? Let us know, drop a comment. Right now, we're definitely taking them in and we see everyone who's tuning in. So if you can hear the echo, let us know. And if you do not hear an echo, please let me know right now. If you do not hear an echo, drop a comment right now. So back to Lil Wayne, your favorite rapper. Um, I'll, I'll say this about Lil Wayne. First of all, this is the same rapper who supposedly just a few years ago had no idea what Black Lives Matter was. We all remember that interview he did on CBS and he was like, black lives, what? He was like, hold on, why is this a thing? And he was like, of course, black lives matter. I'm a rich black man and I'm a gangbanger and I'm over and I'm done over with this interview. And he, and he left and he left the interview. He didn't know what black lives matter was. And now all of a sudden he's advocating on behalf of black people with the Trump administration. Like it's ludicrous. This is what our democracy, this is what our presidency has been reduced to. First of all, why does the Trump administration keep re reaching out to rappers to negotiate on our behalf? That's insulting. We have activists, we have organizers, we have people doing the real advocacy work on the ground. We don't need to resort to entertainers. I mean, you know, look, if they want to talk about voting, that's great. But neither Ice Cube nor Little Wayne should be meeting on behalf of Black people with the president to discuss matters that they just started waking up to. Ice Cube said the same thing. I just started paying attention to, to politics. And now I'm negotiating with the Trump administration about how they can uh, um, effectively help and empower our communities. No, it's not working. And I'm sick of it. And it's insulting. Stanley, I know you have a lot of thoughts on the hip hop community connecting with Trump right now. Can you keep it real? Like, is Lil Wayne doing this because he's actually woken up? Or is this what I think it is, which is personal benefit and a little bit of clout? I think it's a lot of ignorance. Uh, I think it's a lot of um, male privilege and patriarchy and definitely a lot of personal benefit. Um, I agree with Nick Buxton, by the way, Tammy, you are beautiful. Um, but I also think that I'm pretty amazed that Little Wayne could read the plan for Black America from Trump, but couldn't read his own contracts. Because if he did, maybe he wouldn't have got so tied up and jammed up the way that he did with Young Money for so long. I'm not listening to anything Little Wayne has to say about Donald Trump or voting. This is the same man that made a song, Whip It Like a Slave, where he said, men are whipped like Kunta Kente. I'm not listening to him. 
the fact of the matter is a lot of these rappers who are coming out and saying they support Trump don't know what they're talking about, have not done the work, are not listening to people on the ground. They just want to be seen and feel important. So go feel important somewhere else. We've got work to do in reality. So we're getting a lot of comments. Thank you for all folks who are chiming in via Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and um, YouTube. So we have one comment from Lockwell Tom who says via Facebook, Little Wayne endorsed Donald Trump. Folks never learn from the past and present history of injustices and police brutality against blacks, uh, against blacks that Trump wouldn't even acknowledge. Wow. I agree with Lockwell. I was just as surprised and shocked um, that he endorsed Donald Trump. I feel like, you know, Little Wayne has, there's been, you know, reports that all he does is watch ESPN. Stay in your lane, Little Wayne. Look, I, I love his bars. I, I love his music, but we don't need him trying to get into politics and advocacy. That's not his strong point. And obviously to me, he's just distracting from the real issues that need to be addressed during this election. I know we're getting a ton of comments. We want to see if we can take a few more. So Nunu Freeman from Facebook says, Cardi B and Bernie Sanders. That's actually a great point because if, if we are going to talk about having activists, excuse me, rappers and artists stay out of politics, how do we feel about Cardi B and Bernie Sanders? I actually... If I can, I want to actually throw that back to you, Stanley, because you were very vocal, I believe, in, in pushing for Cardi B. Is there a double standard? Are, are we as left-leaning people just coming down on the rappers who are siding with the Trump administration and those on the right? While we, and is it, is, it, is it hypocritical? No, it is not the same. It is not a double standard. Cardi B did something that Ice Cube and Lil Wayne did not, the work. And it's talking to people who was doing work on the ground. And if you look at the conversations that Cardi B had with Bernie Sanders and with Joe Biden, she was asking real questions about real issues that impact real people. Oh, and by the way, Cardi B was in the same spot that the rest of us were in just two years ago. So she's not separate that far away from the struggle. Whereas Lil Wayne and Ice Cube have been rich for years. Well, maybe not Lil Wayne because he don't read his contracts. But... These folks have had access to money for years. And then finally, Cardi B never said she wrote any policy. Cardi B didn't try to push any policy. She said, this is how life impacted me when I was poor and going to school. This is what's happening to my family because of COVID. What are you going to do about that? That's what she did. When you know you're lame, you're good. But Ice Cube, what does Ice Cube know about policy? What does Lil Wayne know about policy? Nothing. But they were coming out here trying to co-sign stuff. And then Ice Cube made it worse because when he got called out for the nonsense that he was saying, and they showed him that other people have been doing this work for years and they have a plan, he still refused to acknowledge that maybe he was wrong. So that's the difference. There's no double standard. I just think it's important for us to think about the ramifications of these endorsements because like Stanley said, Cardi B did the work. She was talking about policy. She met with organizers. She continuously had these discussions and grew and learned from these discussions. The big difference is that people like Lil Wayne are selfishly involved. They hear taxes and they flock to someone who will promise to keep their personal wealth without doing a lick of research on what the ramifications would be within their very own communities. Lil Wayne needs to understand that there is more to life and to his community than just being taxed. 
he is a rich man outside of the bracket of where he grew up. He has a mom, he has kids, and he has several baby mamas. I don't understand that he's even thought of what it would be like, you know, if his women and their children couldn't get health care, for instance. So that's where the huge difference is for me. Now, I appreciate everyone who's been chiming in and leaving comments. Much love. If you want to talk more about Lil Wayne, follow us at Be Heard Talk. But I want to talk about some more election mess, which isn't problematic endorsements. It's problematic violence. So this week leading up to the election has been crazy. Besides the Lil Wayne news, the back and forth of fifth 50, the violence and shade is getting out of hand. In the blue corner, while some may have thought Obama was pretty quiet about Trump in general, we can't get him out of the spotlight now, making sure that every single person knows where he stands on fascism. He's had some cute campaign moments shooting ball and slamming Trump, but now he's taking it more serious, actually campaigning with Biden and letting voters know, quote, who we are. And on the right, as to be expected, Trump supporters continue voter intimidation, violent acts, and wild displays of loyalty to 45, including some supporters in Texas trying to run a Biden bus off of the road. Stanley, can you tell us about some of the stuff you've been seeing in New York? Because I feel like things are going crazy. Yeah, so as we speak, there's a Trump parade happening in the Bronx right now. They're in the Bronx, they pulled up in front of a polling station for early voting and started to rap. I am not even lying to you. It is on Twitter. I'll make sure I get it to our team so we can retweet it so you can see. While that's happening in the Bronx, there's a Trump parade happening on the Upper East Side right now in New York City. And then if you leave New York State and you go to other places, there was some Trump, some Trump supporters who drove into a black neighborhood, I think it was in North Carolina, and tried to go to the polling site and the police were escorting them. Thankfully, the people in the community got together and chased that person out of the community. But these are some of the things that are happening right now. These folks are not playing. Selena, I want to know your opinion, like considering the things that are happening now, just a few short days before, and the fact that DC has already started boarding up stores, what can we expect in the next week after the election? Do you think that there's going to be nationwide riots? How do you think the media is going to respond to all of this? Oh, you're on mute, Selena. Great question, Tammy. And before I address what's going to happen after it, I just want to plus one what Stanley said and said that not only have Trump supporters been using voter intimidation tactics to try to suppress the vote, um, Trump himself has cheered it on. Um, he tweeted um, that a, a video of that bus, of the Biden bus that was being followed by a, a barricade of Trump supporters who are literally trying to run the bus off of the road which is dangerous. And as a result, people on that Biden-Harris bus had to literally call 911 and cancel two election events. That's how serious it is. That, and I just want to point that out because a president's words matter. For him to continue to cheer violence, racial division, and hate, it's only hurting our country. It hurts all of us, no matter what side of the aisle you fall on. And we have to wake up and get this man out of office. He is dangerous. This is what I have to say. 
if they're going to extremes where they would try to run a bus off the road, there's even reports that in Fort Worth, Texas, in a predominantly black community where Senator Harris showed up, um, uh, uh, these Trump supporters also showed up and were very aggressive and scared elderly black folks from the polls. They literally reportedly went like turned around because of the chaos. If we have, if, if this is going on before the election, God knows what's going to happen after election, especially if Donald Trump is not reelected. Honestly, I would say the worst case scenario, it could lead to a race war. I think that's a very real probability. Um, best case scenario, I think that a lot of these Trump supporters who obviously are predominantly white, um, they're going to I wouldn't be surprised if they set some things on fire. If they started rioting and looting and I want to see a Fox News and conservatives call them out and this with the same energy that they use when they call out. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter for rioting when we know that people have infiltrated Black Lives Matter and, and started these riots. Um, so so we'll have to see. Word to that, Selena. And replying to a comment from O.T. Conway on why D.C. is boarding up stores, they say it's majority Black. I've never seen Trump supporters burn down businesses. That's because Trump supporters are the majority. Okay, these are the people that riot when their sports teams don't win. They don't have to be out on the streets begging for rights because white supremacy is at the very foundation of this nation. So of course they're not gonna be burning down business. But keep that same energy this week when the election comes. If Trump loses, I wanna see how Trump supporters react because it hasn't even, we haven't even gotten to November 3rd yet and we're already seeing cases of violence while voters are trying to cast their votes, we've seen <clears throat> intimidation and threats, and we've seen them essentially try to push a bus off the road. I mean, this is beyond looting and rioting during some demonstration. Melinda Millian comments that she had a racist man go off on her while trying to vote. The police had to escort them through the polls to vote and get them back to their car. Like, this is serious. This is really serious. And this is happening in New York as well. In Red Hook, there are reports of cops taking ballots and taking ballot informations in front of long lines. In Brooklyn, there are cop cars shouting Trump 2020, tell Facebook, put it on YouTube. Like this is a terrifying time. And so people just need to be careful out there in these streets. And no matter what, go vote. Go vote, because if they're going this hard to stop you from voting, you need to make sure that you vote, because that's one thing they don't want to do. Yep. In light of something less intense than our current state of democracy, let's talk about something fun, like the weekend. Uh, the winner of this year's pandemic Halloween is Ivy Park. This year, a lot of us toned down celebrations, whether it was costumes or festivities, but with Beyonce dropping her latest drip from Ivy Park just the day before, she reminded us once again that the World Wide Web does in fact belong to Beyonce Knowles Carter. So as usual, celebrities and influencers in her good favor showed off their swag, notes, boxes, and those who didn't, paid tribute to her so they can get on the next drop list. Saweetie did an incredible three-look bootylicious costume displaying the members of Destiny's Child at their peak. And then plus-size model Tabria Majors did a 10-minute tribute video, including costumes, choreographies, and remakes showing off some of the greatest looks. 
But besides the Beyonce fever, stars were really on it this year with Halloween. I mean, costumes took it to the next level. It wasn't just about role playing, but it was about paying homage, like Lizzo shouting out the fly that landed on Mike Pence's head, like Cardi B dressing as a stunning version of Medusa that looks honestly as expensive as her record deal, and other celebrities shouting out their personal faves like Sierra, um, Ryan Destiny, and others. If you want to see, check out the Shade Room and Twitter, because that's where we saw our posts. But I want to jump to you, Selena. What are some of your favorites? What is something that we can take away from this Halloween? Because I know it wasn't glamorous, but it was kind of fun, though. Oh, you're muted. I just want to say, if it was not for social media, I don't think we would have a Halloween, right? I think the stars still went out, all out for Halloween. And honestly, they did it for the gram, and it was entertaining, and it definitely gave me life. My fave, definitely a Tabria Majors, who's a beautiful plus-size model who killed every single Beyonce look that she did and, like, literally flawed us all. She won Halloween, if you ask me. But, like, close second, Lizzo, dressing up as the fly that was on Mike Pence's head during the VP debate the creativity there definitely is as top three whatsoever and then another personal favorite of mine was Ciara who dressed up as Megan Thee Stallion Cardi B she even had her son dressed up as Offset and they did like a little a, a little sketch I was just like yes yes and more yes to these celebrities oh and let me also mention little Nas X dressed up as Nicki Minaj well, and he killed that. huh he killed that he definitely killed that. And he has been a longtime stan of Nicki Minaj. He actually used to run one of her fan accounts. I think they had like a little um, discrepancy, but they have reconciled and he definitely killed Nicki. Stanley, what are some of your favorites? And did you see Sweetie's other cosplay, which was RuPaul? I thought that was so hot. Mad people couldn't even tell which picture was RuPaul and which was hers. I got to go to Sweetie's Instagram page and do some researching. Um, <laughs> No, honestly, my favorite Halloween pictures have been all the adorable kids. I Aww. like the kids have looked so cute. I saw one kid dressed up as Barack Obama, and then he took a jump shot from the three-point line and made it, and then showed off the court and grabbed his cup, his cup of coffee in one stride. I thought, oh wait, that actually happened. That was Obama. Never mind. But yeah, <laughs> the kids have been really cute. Like, look at this right here. Look at this stuff. He's That's adorable. The only time I had baby fever is when I look at those cute kids and then I remember kids cost money. Oh, good question about Lil Nas X from Nunu Freeman. Mm -hmm. Does Lil Nas X have black male privilege? I mean, yeah. He has male privilege because he's a man. But what does that have to do with anything? I mean, he was getting cut pretty hard though. Like, I mean, he's a he's a gay man. He's not just a black man. I think there's an important distinction because that's true. You know, our community isn't often nice to the gays and society yeah, is not nice to the gays or the blacks. And so, I don't know. I wouldn't say that he particularly has a lot of privilege. I think privilege is an intersection. I mean, as a man, he I think he has like certain privileges like that come with masculinity. But like when he posted that picture, dudes that don't lotion their elbows and say female, they were pissed. And they had a lot to say on Twitter. They even had a lot to say on Clubhouse, my exclusive social media app that I can't let you all, all you guys into. The app that Stanley still keeps touting in front of me yet won't invite me to because he's hateful. I don't have any more invites. 
<laughs> you're valid. And okay, to wrap up the news roundup, I want to talk about one more thing. Uh, it's about gay rights. This is a perfect segment talking about Lil Nas X because if he ever moves to Pennsylvania or you know Philly, any of the suburbs, he might not be able to have kids. Now we confirm we confirmed Judge Amy Coney Barrett, now Justice Amy Coney Barrett, to the Supreme Court on October 27th. Coming up this week is going to be a landmark case for the LGBTQ community that may or may not set the precedent of how Judge Barrett will be voting in the future. Now, before she was confirmed, there was a lot of talk about her recusing herself um, from the first most prevalent backburner cases, which would basically mean that she hasn't been on long enough and these are ongoing cases, so she will not sit and try them as a new judge. However, jumping into this case is showing Democrats that she will not recuse herself and that she's actually ready to begin her job. Now, the Supreme Court hears an argument on Wednesday whether Philadelphia may stop working with a Catholic adoption agency that will not allow same-sex couples as potential foster parents. Now, this case is obviously about religious liberty as well as LGBTQ rights, but this could be big for adoptions, uh, family making, and sort of general gay rights all over the country. What this means is that if Philadelphia rules that it is a religious liberty to prevent same-sex parents, a lot of other adoption agencies in the country are going to follow suit, especially with Philadelphia being a large swing state. Now, I think there are many other cases up on the back burner that you know, Amy Barrett should recuse herself from, but one of the most important is the Affordable Care Act. Now, Stanley, can you explain what her recusing herself will do for the ACA? If she would recuse, recuse herself from that case, which is coming up probably five days after the election, it creates the opportunity that the Affordable Care Act is not struck down by the Supreme Court, because at that point, you'd probably have a 4-4 split, um, or at least a 5, like, you can protect with a 5-4 split. Um, she's not gonna recuse herself. I don't believe that at all. So more than likely, when the Affordable Care Act goes up again on November 10th, you're gonna see the Affordable Care Act officially repealed by Republicans. Selena, what do you think this particular case will do for her public image in the media? And do you think that she's gonna strike it safe like she did during her hearings? She hinted, you know, that she wouldn't be as conservative as, you know, maybe some of her peers on the court, but she did say that she looked up to Scalia, the late justice. Well, for the question of what it would do for her public interest, I mean, she has purported herself as a right-leaning conservative person throughout her entire career. She's idolized Justice Scalia and as and worked with him. And we know that we all know Justice Scalia was one of the most conservative um, originalists on the Supreme Court, meaning that he interprets the Constitution as it was originally written back when women didn't have voting rights and black people were slaves. However that's the lens that they view legality. That says enough and constitutionality. Not only that, I wanna, I wanna just point out that uh, Amy Comey Barrett is also gonna be ruling on another really big case. Four conservative justices on the Supreme Court have signaled their desire to throw out mail ballots that arrive after election day. Now the court 
can remain will remain deadlocked on this issue, um, which would affect the, a number of races throughout the country until Amy Coney Barrett casts her first vote. So, look, Affordable Care Act, LGBT rights, and also voting rights. We know that Donald Trump has been unapologetic and very vocal about wanting to push Amy Comey Barrett onto the Supreme Court so that he would have security and a guarantee to win the election, not because we vote him in, but because the Supreme Court would rule him in the same way that happened to George W. Bush. He said it. And literally, that's literally what is on the ballot. That is literally a, a, a court case that is coming up. Um, they don't care about democracy. Now, I, I just, I'm just so baffled and frustrated at this point because it makes me think like, how can they continue to get away with this when they're upfront about it and transparent and completely shameless about running our democracy in the ground? Honestly, eh, this is the truth. And I we literally just have to wait and see what she does. It's already done. And post-election, in the hopes that Biden is in, maybe there is something that can be done, re-court packing or any other policy protections. But all we can do is wait. Pack hmm? the courts. Pack the courts. Yeah. There's no debate about it anymore. Like you, you want to play this cute game of being nice and respectable. Republicans haven't played fair in over 15 years. Pack the courts, period. Pack the courts. And with that note, I'm going to send it to you, Selena, for the main segment. I know a lot of us are dying to get to this show so that we can jumpstart anxiety on what are we going to do after this election. Uh, for those of you, thank you so much for listening to the News Roundup. And follow and DM us at Be Heard Talk to share some stories for next week. Yeah, no, and before we do, can I just point out one point about packing the courts that Stanley made? Because, Stanley, that was such an excellent point. And if you can be a little more descriptive about packing the courts, because I feel like that topic in itself is getting a very bad rap. Um, I feel like it's almost like a, a negative connotation around court packing. Is this something that's actually viable? If you could just explain that really quickly to our viewers. Yeah, so when they first made the, the U.S. Constitution, and they picked the nine justices for the Supreme Court is because they had nine like circuit courts. We now have 13 circuit courts. So you could conceivably add on four more Supreme Court justices right now in Biden's term, and it would still match up with like what we should have constitutionally. And now the Trump administration would say that that's BS, but it actually is the truth. The problem is once you go that route, then you put yourself in a situation that when Republicans are in power, then they can pack the courts. But there are other things you can do too if you don't want to pack the courts. You can make, you can put term limits on Supreme Court justices. You can require that they be elected. You can require that they have certain standards. You can make rules so that if there's a conflict of interest, they actually legally have to recuse themselves. Um, I know there was a couple of years ago, Justin Clarice Thompson was overseeing a lawsuit from Monsanto and they wanted him to recuse himself because he was literally on their board and he refused to. That's an example of like a way you could recuse yourself or you could force Supreme Court justices to recuse. This way they would not be able to give their vote on a case where it was very obvious that they had an ulterior motive. So those are just, just a couple of things that we could actually do besides packing the courts. But packing the courts isn't a bad thing necessarily. Republicans have been packing the courts for years. They refuse to to let in any judges when Obama was president. And they've literally been packing the courts with people 
who don't even have the proper qualifications. More than 30% of the justices across like the lower circuits that Republicans have, have voted in don't even have a positive rating from the American Bar Association. That's the organization that certifies lawyers. So if Republicans want to play this way, I don't understand why we have to play differently now. Hard agree. The Dems need to go hard if they actually want to protect our rights. And like, this isn't a joke anymore. Like if we, if they have the Senate, if they have the presidency and they have the court, it's pretty much over for us. Yeah. So I know we are definitely getting some comments, Tammy. Would you be able to read some? Yeah, of course. Um, Evan Mastronardi, shout out to you, one of our favorite correspondents on this show, has said the Supreme Court has been expanded multiple times in history. Now, it has been expanded, but it's also been fought over so many times. Like, I know the first time court packing came up by FDR, it was rejected. Yet somehow it's been expanded a few times. Stanley, can you tell us a little bit more about key expansions and why the numbers have changed? I was not prepared to answer that question. So <laughs> no, what I will say that, you know, it's something that has happened and does happen. And it's only become like controversial and right. a problem now because Republicans know that they may lose power. Right. Well, I mean... Pretty much. I do think that we'll have to continue to let things play out um, and, and see how far it goes. But, you know, speaking of that, we do want to just shift gears and just jump straight into our main segment, because, you know, a lot of you guys tuned in for our next featured special guest who we have on the line with us. And let me just start by saying that we all know how important the black vote is in 2020 and for the election. And we all know that a drop in the turnout in 2016 among black voters in swing states like Pennsylvania helped Trump win the White House. And we know if we want to protect our communities from the pandemic of COVID-19, which has disproportionately killed and affected black and brown people, along with the pandemic of racism, which continues to manifest as police violence against black folks, racial injustice and economic inequality, then we must vote on November 3rd if we haven't voted already. But that is just one step in the journey to black empowerment. Not only must we show up to the polls and kick 2020 in the ballots, but we need a strategy to remain organized, mobilized, and civically engaged in order to achieve true liberation. So to help us with this conversation, we have my son, the General Lennon, who is an independent hip hop artist, criminal justice reform activist from the Bronx, organizer and co-founder of Until Freedom, which is an internet intersectional social justice organization fighting for systemic change and racial justice. What's up, bro? What's going on, Selena? How you doing today, Queen? I'm good, I'm good. We're super happy to have you. We know you are a very busy man. You are literally on a, a tour right now called State of the Emergency, Emergency to Vote. You were in Louisville, so we know you. there's a lot of work to be done. But my son, I want to start this conversation by actually throwing it back to the time you were spending in Louisville, Kentucky this year when you were fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor's family. Now you're currently on the State of Emergency Vote Tour. 
based on the people you're speaking to and the people you're organizing, do you feel like black folks are enthusiastic about this election season? And do you think we will be the ones to push Biden to victory? Um, that's a very good question, both of them. Um, I, I really don't think that black people are enthused about this election cycle. And, and I'm one of those black people, to be honest. You know, it's just that I understand the immediate danger that we face. And I keep trying to tell people in which my sister Linda put so eloquently, we're not trying to get friends in the White House. We're trying to get better opponents because every day as activists, we have to fight regardless of who is in the White House. We just understand that the, the administration that we have right now is dangerous. They have committed themselves to white supremacy. They have committed themselves to you know, race baiting to doing things that will negatively affect this country every day of the, this administration. So that's what I have to go out and, and constantly tell people. Like, it's not about, we understand that we need something different and that's on all fronts. You know, we've gave, we've gave an administration four years and we watch how they've completely deteriorated this country. And anybody who says something different is just trying to be blind or just obstinate. It's, it's not even common sense to say anything other than that. So what we're saying is we understand Joe Biden's faults. We understand the 94 crime bill. We understand the 88 crack bill. We understand all of the things we understand. We know his shortcomings, but we also know that he is not imminent danger right now. You know, it's like it's like for me, it's like saying there's some person that's on a road to power that's almost at the top. And we got to pull him down because we is an immediate threat. It's like two people running at you with guns and one is two feet away from you and one is about a block away from you. I'm going to deal with the person that's two feet in front of me right now because I know this person will kill me right now. I'm going to get to the other one. But right now, this person has to get out the White House. And we don't have any other. We do not have any other choices and we have two choices and we have to pick the ones where we feel like we have a better opponent to where we can push you know and we can fight for things and it's not going to be easy and i understand that and i tell people all the time none of these parties properly represent us as black people and what we do need to do is on november 4th is start to build our own mm. well my sound we're actually getting a lot of comments gina francis chimed in via facebook um, she says, I don't think Trump will win because the country became very divisive and rude to each other since he took over the helm of this country. We need civility, respect back to America and the greatest the greatest country on this earth. Go vote. So basically, I feel like a lot of people watching right now agree that we have to vote It's literally vote or die. But another thing you've been talking about very passionately is the amount of rappers and entertainers who are like literally speaking about this election and we talk about it here and be heard talk all the time because it feels like it's a distraction like we're trying to get people to go to the polls and educate themselves but you hear little wayne having meetings with donald trump and then taking pictures and and endorsing him and then we have 50 cent talking about biden's tax plan will leave turn him into 20 cent and he doesn't want to vote for biden and then we even had um on top of that, we've had, you know, obviously Kanye West. It's, it's a number of rappers that continue. And Ice Cube. I can't forget Ice Cube with the Platinum Plan. So you as an artist and an activist, we got to get your take on having hip-hop artists sort of chime into the election. Do you think it's a distraction to what the, the work you're trying to do to mobilize people to go to the polls? 
I don't I don't only think it's a distraction. I think it's actually disrespectful because, you know, you don't just walk into somebody's territory, somebody's home, you know, without conferring and having conversations with them. I mean, I think for 50 Cent, I don't I don't think I take it as much as 50 Cent because 50 Cent has been a capitalist and that's just who he is. And when he made a statement, it's him making a vote. You know, I don't think it's so much of an endorsement. It's just him saying that, you know, his individual um, capital is going to be affected by by that. And these might be true issues and those are things. But when you look at the overall, what it means to black people, most black people ain't making as much money as 50. So he, he's made a he's made a kind of decision for him personally. And that I can't I can't fault any person who has a personal stake in something. But you just need to understand that that's their personal stake. The overall state of black America is going to be threatened by this whole administration. It's not going to just be these tax breaks that the rich black people get. So he represents the point one percent of people that feel that way. And I'm not mad about that. But what Little Wayne and, and Cuba have done, they've utilized their platform, their millions of fans to talk about something that will benefit black people as a whole, which is not accurate. See, that's what it is. When you go and you represent and you're talking about a black plan and you don't even know what that black plan, that platinum plan is, Little Wayne, you can't you can't even, you know, give us a, a, a analysis of what it is, but to say that it makes sense. Now you're endorsing and you, you're utilizing your platform to say something will be better for black people. And you didn't even confer with the black people who are on the ground who actually do this work. There are people who've been putting these plans together for the last four years. And Little Wayne has no idea about that. He didn't sit down and talk to anybody who's been putting these plans together. He didn't sit down and talk to any black leaders who've been fighting on this ground, whose lives are in jeopardy every day fighting. He didn't have any regard or respect for people who actually been doing this work for years so i think in my in my point that that's just disrespectful it's, it's it's not just you know it's irresponsible and disrespectful to the work we do it and 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 as far as cubes done i understand cubes frustration i understand and i think his um contract with black america is something that is needed i just think that cube you know once again, he didn't he didn't take the necessary time to sit down and have conversations with people who've been doing this work. You know, he utilized his platform and his voice and his celebrity status to call for a meeting with someone who was just going to utilize that meeting just as an endorsement who didn't give him anything, who utilized him as somebody who's saying, yeah, I met with Ice Cube and I did this and we said we might do this. And he got nothing. He left a meeting and he endorsed somebody who didn't give him anything. You know, so it's, it's a politics game that they're playing. I think if they have more respect for the people who are really on the ground, people who've been doing this work for a long time, then these mistakes wouldn't be made. You know, so I think that's what it is. I think as as a, as a whole, rappers, entertainers, black people, there has to be some level of code of conduct to where you look and say, OK, who are people? Because I have a big platform. I have a big voice. Let me a lot like Snoop does. Snoop will call and reach out and say, yo, what you think about this? What Cardi B does. She'll call Tamika and say, hey, Tamika, what's going on? What you think I should say here? Look, I'm meeting with these people. What questions do you think I should ask? You know, th that's really. Um, I think my son may have froze a little bit, but I know we're getting some comments that Tammy wanted to interject and talk about. Yeah, so um, while my son comes back, I just want to point out a comment from Dante S. 
Real question, how does modern activism help black people? Wouldn't black enterprise be more important? Building businesses and industries rather than ambulance chasing individual in, uh, individual cases. And I wanna comment on that because we did talk a little about it earlier with Lil Wayne and the rappers. And I think my son is kind of hitting on this point now. Black enterprise focuses on a capitalist system that embraces individualism and white supremacy. A lot of these celebrity activists are popping off at the mouth because they have an inter, like a personal vested interest in this election. Modern quote activism and advocacy and organizing is more about doing community work and bringing in people who have been writing policy, who have been talking to the masses and doing this for many years. I think that Black enterprise and having large figures like, you know, Cube and Wayne and all of these people, yes, that is one way to advance the Black agenda, but it's not going to bring freedom to Black people because at the end of the day, having rich Black people in capitalism or succeed under capitalism doesn't do anything for the, for the droves of us who are poor or you know, struggling to make a basic living, whether that's through healthcare or anything else. So that's pretty much why we on this show at least put such a big emphasis on organizing. Do we have my song back? Because I'd be curious to see his answer on that. Um, no, my son is having connectivity issues, but Stanley, feel free to weigh in. No, yeah. So organizing is how you win, period. Um, and that's how we're gonna get far. Everyone has their space in the movement and things they need to do that will help us. I think Tammy's right about what she said about black enterprise, but voting is one piece of it, but then also finding an organization that, that reflects your values to push your ideas into power. A great organization is my son's organization, until freedom. You need to be finding your until freedom to get involved in, or at least put your dollars in so we can organize for power. And um, I know we have my song back. My I'll, I'll that back. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, speaking of that and, you know, the work that you're doing, my son, I think that a question that we all have is what happens after November 4th? What do you recommend for people who are so fired up about this election, but maybe don't have a plan or aren't prepared to continue the fight after after november 3rd excuse me i, I think for me and until freedom I, our whole goal is that's when the work actually starts you know we understand that even what happened with obama's presidency we took our eyes off the ball we were just happy to get you know obama in office we didn't push for the legislation that we wanted we didn't push him we didn't stay on him we allowed him to you know get pushed back and, and he he fed in to the people who pushed him and, and that's just the reality what happens in government in government what happens is that there are people who push you and people who don't and the silent people you don't get what it is that you're looking for so we understand first we're going to push the whoever is in, in the office to do what we need them to do we're going to fight them but at the same time we realize that everybody is so you know this does not approve with the structure with the system that we have now with the people the, the two-party system that we have right now that we want to create something that's sustainable so for the next four years we we're looking to create something different you know we're going to create a tour called i need something different tour in which we go around and we create and build 
a party or a structure that really represents our culture, represents our people to where they feel like they're getting something for their vote, to where they feel like their voices are actually being heard. I think that is that is the only thing that we can do is the day after the election, you know, God forbid or God willing, you know, we get a whole new administration. As we push them, we're creating something to replace them at the same time. Yeah, so, so my son, I want to ask you a follow-up for that. Um, in Chile, they just overthrew their government and they voted in to have a new constitution written and they want to shift their government to a socialist government. That's the plan. That's what they're doing. Is that the next step for after this election for you? Well, what we, what we want to do is we understand what we need something different. And I don't, I don't speak for all black people. And that's what I hope all rappers start understanding. None of us individuals speak for all black people. We don't have the right. We don't have the ability. We don't have all the knowledge to speak for every black person. So what we have to do is as we create and we go on these tours and we sit down and we saying that we're creating what something should look like, we have to meet with black people. We have to meet around and say, what should our party look like? What should what it is that we create and look like? What is it that you feel it should look like? Who you think needs to represent you? You know, we don't know if it's social. We don't know what to call it until people have their say. So that's what we want to do. We want to sit around and sit around with our people and say and, and, and come up with a list and, a, a, you know, a whole strategy of what it is that we, we want to create and how we want to be ran as a gun because the government has to get back to being for the people by the people right now it's just people telling it's government officials telling people what to do so my son it's very clear that there's going to be a difference in organizing between a trump presidency and a biden presidency and you know we may not have as a community a strict list of wants but black lives matter is at the top of our priority so mm -hmm. We just went through this whole situation where we couldn't get justice for Breonna Taylor. How would that change or how would criminal justice reform policy change under Biden? Well, we don't know how it's going to change and we don't know if it's going to change. Right. We don't we have no idea what's going to happen under Biden's administration, but we know we're going to push them to make those changes. We know every day that he's in office that we're going to push them to make those changes because there are people in the administration that say they want to see those changes. So we're going to every day push them. And if not, we're still going to be building what it is that we believe the beloved community is supposed to look like for us with our government and how it's supposed to be ran. So we don't have, there's no guarantees with anything, but we know that the imminent danger that we're in right now, we have to stop that. You understand what I'm saying? We are hundred percent sure that we have to stop that. Yes, it's going to be different. It's going to be difficult to get the police defunded. Yes, it's going to be difficult to get, you know, um, stop um, um, the immunity by the police and, and make them be accountable for murdering our people. We understand that these things are going to be difficult. We're going to have to go up against the labor unions and the police forces. We know these things are going to be hard, but every day of this administration, we're going to fight to make them happen. And, and, and if they're not happening, as we create what it is that we want to be governed by, we're going to make sure those are priorities. My son, you know, you've been organizing on the ground for so long and we're, you know, doing the, uh, the work that needs to be done. But do you think us as a people are ready for like the journey for black liberation? Are we like the grit that it takes, the dedication that it takes beyond again, this election? Are we, are we coming together to really fight for our liberation 
beyond November 3rd? I think the energy is there. I think people realize that there's a need for change, that there's a need for unity, that there's a need for us to come together and actually create and be dedicated to the change that we want to see. So I think it's up to people like Until Freedom, like Woke Vote, like all the organizations that are doing grassroots work to, to galvanize that energy, to unite and say, listen, our people want us. And if we call ourselves leaders, then this is what we need to lead. We need to take the time to lead the people and, and galvanize that energy that they have and, and utilize it to get where we're supposed to be. We've never seen this level of energy, not in my lifetime. I've never seen this level of energy. You know, what's happened with George Floyd united a level of energy amongst the world that was just different. And it would be a shame if we didn't galvanize, if we didn't capitalize on that energy and the fact that people are realizing that Black Lives Matter and people are realizing the atrocities that Black people have experienced throughout America and this planet, basically. And people are realizing that there has to be some reckoning, some atonement, you know, and we have to capitalize on that and make sure, you know, it's, it's, it's good for them to understand, but now we have to hold people accountable. And talking about that long road to freedom, um, the energy is absolutely there. What is it going to take? What do we need? Well, like we said, it's going to take real leadership. It's going to take people to put the egos to the side. It's going to take people to put the people first. It's going to take people to not believe that they understand. They know solely what black people want. Because I don't know solely. I know what I want. I know what the black people around me want. And the people, other people know what they want. So we have to sit down and collectively come up with a contract for black people. We have to collectively come up. What does, you know justice and freedom and equity really look like for us as a as a complete unit we have to sit down and strategize and it's going to be it's not going to be easy it's going to be disagreements it's going to be people that want that but that is what it's going to take that's what real leadership is called for like i tell everybody i'm not mad that you sit down with donald trump donald trump you sitting down with donald trump is not the issue but when you sit down with donald trump and you don't leave with anything and he just utilizes you as a pawn on the chessboard and he utilizes you for endorsement and you ain't got nothing for your endorsement and you leading black people astray and you making black people think something is happening that isn't, then you become sort of like the ops. You know, you, you, you're working with the ops, whether you know it or not. And especially when there are people who can tell you that you would the strategy, who've seen him do this for four years straight and you're not reaching out to those people. You're not even you know, you're not considering those people. You're not respecting those people's expertise. You know, then it's a problem. But no, we need to sit. We're going to need to sit down with everybody. Lottie, daddy and everybody. Everybody we're going to need to sit down with. People that we agree with, disagree with. We got black Republicans, black. Everybody needs to be at the table and say, what do black people want to do as a collective? Not just ideology different. What is it collectively going to bring us to a point where we have equity and power that we deserve as a nation? Yes, yes, Mike. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you for that so much for that truth. I just have one more question for you, um, and it's for you to tell the folks what the kind of great work that you're doing right now about Until Freedom and how they can support your organization. Well, currently we're on this. Um, Lord have mercy. Tour. We're on the tour. What is it called again? State of emergency. State of emergency. <laughs> this is this is my part. One of our partners. I guess. Dewana Thompson. She is. The founder of Woke Vote, and she's one of the partners that we have. We're on this tour with, and we're currently going to, to assure that people get out to the voting polls. Right now, we're in Pittsburgh. This is one of the, the stop before 
our final stop, which will be in um, Detroit, Michigan. And um, we're just going around. And this is this is ours. This is where we feel like we are effective. You know, we feel like we can galvanize. We can organize. We can inspire. We need we know that you can't win no election on a Zoom call. You know, we you can't win. You can't get the people zooming and and just online all day. We understand that you got to knock on doors. People got to see you. They got to feel relate. You have to have real conversations with people, you know, and we realize that's going to be our strategy. So moving forward, that's how we're going to do everything. Like I said, if we're going to galvanize black people and we're going to speak on behalf of black people and represent black people, then we got to go where black people are. So I think that's what Until Freedom and Woke Vote are committed to doing is going to touch those people who feel like they haven't been heard. You know, I think that's what that's what you're hearing right now. You know, and I know it's a narrative that's been created by people, bots online, make it seem, oh, the Democrats have just completely, you know, took over you. And I just put something online today and it's and it's not racist. It's just realistic. Why would why would uh, any sane black person who screams black power and Black Lives Matter want to be involved with a party where you don't have any representatives? Like it, it just it's not common sense to me. If only two people in your party are black people and they are people whose views I don't even align with, why would you tell me that it makes more sense for me to go vote for that party? You know, so these are things, the conversations that we have and, and but there are people that are online say, Oh, the Dems have never done, but I, I know Democrats, you know, and I'm not and I don't care about either party because party I'm bipartisan, but I know Jemani Williams, I know you know, Vanessa Gibson. I know Ruben Diaz. I, I can sit and call them and have them do things for our community that I can get in touch with. So when you tell me that they, they are the devil and they don't do anything and they, they're they working for white supremacy, that's not realistic to me because I know I know Michael Blake. I like these are people that I know on the ground firsthand that are, are Democratic officials that are black people that care for black people like I care for black people. Yeah, the structure that they're going into makes it harder for them to do things because the system is effed up, excuse me. But the reality of the situation is that we just have to be smarter. We got to use more common sense, you know, and not allow people to trick you with false narratives. And and social media is such a dangerous place. There's so many trolls on my page. Me and Tamika was having this conversation today that the trolls are out in full force. They come in by hundreds and thousands. They flood in comments. And they're trying to just cause dissension. So we just got to be vigilant and continue to do the work we do. My son, as we bring this conversation to a close, I just want to ask you, when will we know that we actually achieve the freedom that we've been fighting for? What is that indicator? What does that look like for us? And do you think we'll see it in our lifetimes? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see it in our lifetime. You know, I'm, I, don't, I don't know. I'm hopeful that we'll see it ever. I don't know. But I think the indicator for us is when we don't have to have these conversations. We don't have to sit here and wonder when are police going to be held accountable for killing black people? When are black people going to have equity? You know, when are we going to get the things we deserve? When we don't have to have these conversations, when they just become the norm, you know, when, when we are treated and we have the, when the wealth gap, does not reflect that we're 13 to 14 percent of population and we're 0.1 percent of the wealth in this country then we'll when we can see when we can literally see our next door neighbors and people from communities that were once marginalized being able to thrive and just have livable wages and not have to engage in crime because their their situations are so terrible when you walk outside and you don't you're not the only person 
who is doing good in your family and when you you kind of have some level of wealth and you don't have to support 20 people you know there are other people inside of your family that's able to to sustain wealth and and, and get good education and have good jobs then you'll feel it it, it will feel normal it starts to feel like you're not when you don't feel stress and trauma all the time because anything can happen to you and you live in check to check every day i think at that point we'll say you know we we've got to where we're supposed to be well, thank you again, my son. Did you drop your cash app? Because that's a, one of the biggest ways we can. Uh, um, oh, yeah, you can just cash app. It's cash app dollar sign until freedom. You know we're on the road and, and we don't take we don't take um donations. We take investments, man. Because mm -hmm. We feel like everything that we get is an investment in our freedom. A lot of people. It's so crazy, Selena. You have black people who will question why do we need money. And, it's you know you being paid and, and and all these things and it's like why why would you not want people who fight for our liberation who are on the front lines they're willing to give up their lives and their freedom for us to to have something to survive why do you want to see us broke but you want to support rappers that tell you to drink lean and and, and pop pills all day you happy when they tell you they got a million dollars but the minute you see us with a nice car or a jacket that costs over five dollars you know, we pimp in the community. It's just, it's the weirdest mentality, man. I just hope that we as black people move further from that. Absolutely, my son. So I do want to just, again, thank you again for your time today. We appreciate not only your insight and perspective, but the work you're doing around the country. You are a true freedom fighter. You, Tamika, Angelo, and Linda, and everybody else that's involved with Until Freedom, like we are all indebted, indebted well, for the work that you do. I want to say I appreciate y'all, man. I watch the work that you do. We've worked together, Stanley. You know you like a brother to me, and you, Celine. You know you like my little sister, Tammy. I've seen you around doing a lot of work too. So I just want to say the work that y'all doing. This is this is very important. This platform that you speak to the needs of what's going on in our community. That you always honest. You know, and you don't back down, and you don't hold your tongue, and you represent us properly. So I just want to say thank you, guys. Appreciate you, bro. We appreciate you, bro. Thank you so much. Um, Stanley, did you have final words as we wrap up about organizing beyond 2020? I mean, all I got to support Until Freedom. I think Mike said it all. Um, I'm really excited about the work that they're doing. They're leading the way. The work doesn't stop after Election Day. The work starts after Election Day. So let's keep moving. Tammy, you as well. Final words. We're literally a few days, a few hours out from the biggest election of our lifetime. What happens beyond it? Last words. Let me just say, I don't want to see all these new organizers who popped up under Trump disappear. Like you see how my son has to do an interview while he's on the road. There are not enough organizers to protect our entire community. It doesn't take much. You can do phone banking for an hour, once a week, once a month. You can drop some money to your favorite local organization, or you can spend some time outdoors just educating the public. But what we need to do is have sustained organizing regardless of who wins. Even if Biden wins, just remember, he wasn't on board with our plan until we pushed him to that. And we have to keep pushing him because progressives like me, we're not happy with Biden, so we're gonna hold him accountable. We're gonna keep fighting for the Green New Deal and for free healthcare for all. So just start somewhere small, start very excited and keep the momentum going. Absolutely. And I'll just end 
this conversation by saying this. My son made a great point about where we are investing our energy. I know there's a lot of conversation about manifestation and you you know it, it starts with the mind and it starts with you know putting faith action into faith and if we're not investing in the people who are fighting for our, our liberation what are you investing in if we're not you know actively supporting those on the ground who are fighting for labor rights which affect us who are fighting to protect our health care and access and education then, then what are we really focused on and what are we really doing what is tying up our, our interests? What is what is more important than our collective liberation? It's been over 400 years. I mean, at, at this point, it should be top of mind, first priority. And, and if not now, then it's never, we're never going to see that liberation for our children, our grandchildren, and future generations. So the time to start investing is now. If you don't have the time, if you don't have the energy because of other priorities, then please, if you can, donate as my son was saying, the until freedom and even be heard talk because we are literally supporting the issues that you care about. And we're talking about it and we're trying to work for change in, in, the, in the best way that we know possible. And we know that every single person has a role when it comes to fighting for change. Every single person has a place here and we need everyone to actually take part if we will ever achieve liberation. So on that note, I do want to just thank everyone for chiming in and tuning into today. I want to give a special thanks to Black Enterprise, again, our official media sponsor for the 2020 election season. Be Heard Talk will continue on for the rest of the year. So continue to check us out every Sunday, 2 p.m. right here. Be Heard Talk. Until next week, guys, we'll see you later. Take care.